This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 68. Episode 68 features singer, songwriter, producer, Nate Benjamin. Uh, Nate Benjamin is based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. He actually lives right next door to me um, in my where I live, um, and you can hear him playing his guitar a lot. And uh, we had a really good conversation one night at Pine Box Rock Shop about a month ago, and I thought he'd be a cool dude to have on the show. Um, so we set that up. We recorded this a few weeks ago. Um, we recorded it before I went into rehearsal for 125th and Freedom, which is now playing at the National Black Theater every Saturday in June. You can go to the nationalblacktheater.org to check that out. Um, come come support that. Um, and on this episode, like I said, features Nate Benjamin. His project is called Slumtown Deadbeats, and he has an album coming out this summer called The Center of Despair. So check that out. Without further ado, this is Nate Benjamin. Let's have a conversation. All right, Nate. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Good. Good to sit down and talk with you. Yeah. Uh, so where do you hail from? Uh, originally, I'm from a place called Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. It's about halfway between New York and Scranton. Or I mean halfway between New York and Philadelphia, right next to Scranton. Um, it's... It's not a small town and it's not a big city. It's about, you know, 200,000 people. So it's got a best of both worlds sort of feel, or I would say a worst of both worlds sort of feel, which is what brought me here. And uh, when did you move here? Oh, jeez. 2014. Okay. So it's been about five years. Yeah. You're at the halfway point to what some say is like the official resident New Yorker thing. I think the halfway point, though, you're on, you're on the way. Um, I just celebrate. I'm just. I think this is 11 years for me this summer. Um, but Brooklyn the whole time, or yeah. Um, I was in South Park Slope when I first got here for the first year. It's a really nice neighborhood. It is really nice. Um, I didn't feel like I belonged there. Um, and when I moved, I can understand yeah. That. When I moved to Bushwick the following year, um, I immediately felt. Like, I found my tribe and, and my home. Um, yeah, and I've been here since. Hey, you know, I've lived, I lived in every borough. I've lived in a number of different neighborhoods. I always find myself coming back to Bushwick, which is, like, I don't really like the college scene too much or the bar scene too much, but there's just something about the energy here. You know what I mean? Like, it's very, it, it influences creativity in a way that the other neighborhoods really don't because everyone around you is creative and as soon as you walk out the door, there's just paintings on the buildings and people playing guitar in the streets. It's hard not to want to make something when you live in this neighborhood. Yeah. And we won't disclose the exact address, but uh, we live right next door, um, same building, and our dogs share a yard. Yes, and they like each other very much. They do. Um, and uh, I hear you playing music speaking of people doing creative things um yeah so let's talk about that yeah um i've got 
I don't want to call it a band. Um, I've got a project called Slumtown Deadbeats. I'm the only constant thing, but I hire studio musicians and live musicians to play with me. I, uh, I'm really just trying to go for something completely original here. I want to throw away the book when it comes to anything you think of when it comes with like genres or sounds. And I just want to like take all of the things that I love about music and make sure that they all come across evenly in one project. So I'm mixing soul and blues and outlaw country and punk rock and funk music and all this like weird shit that doesn't really combine. I'm sitting there for hours in my bedroom and like, okay, how could we connect these dots? So if I record one song, it could take me as many as two weeks and I'm just sitting there playing with the guitar. Okay, how could I get this weird you know, full bar chord jazz rhythm to match these bluesy licks. And I really like how it's coming out. Uh, we just got signed to a label. I've been shopping my stuff around. We got signed to Cordage Records. Uh, it's owned by... Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's owned by a gentleman who goes by Elvis Aaron Deadly. He lives in Pennsylvania. He's got his own band, Cut Up Naked Teenagers. By the way, check them out. They are releasing their album this summer. They have two music videos coming out this summer as well in cooperation with their release. And... Uh, <clears throat> He's got a really interesting thing, too. He's got, like, a 50s vibe, but it's punk rock, and there's a little bit of metal influence. And I, I feel like that's the way music's going to go now. I don't think you're going to hear any straight rock and roll or any just straight hip-hop anymore. I think we've reached a point where people want to make something new. People want to define this generation's sound. And I'm happy to be a part of that. Nice. Um, and it's funny you talk about defying, you know, genres and bridging gaps, uh, cause you're wearing a Johnny Cash shirt, yeah. which, um, you know, he's technically in the country genre, but I do think he also speaks to the universal, um, and transcends definitely the, the country genre. Oh yeah. I, I always say without Johnny Cash, you don't have hip hop. You, you, you can't get a punk rock, you can't get even disco. Any of this like music that you think of as adventurous and wild and rebellious, that all started with Johnny Cash because before him, people were just singing shit about Jesus and holding hands, and then he comes out and says, I shot a man in Reno to watch him die. People were like, holy shit, you could say that in music? Now, there is another contemporary of his, though. Um who I always go back to, and that's uh, James Brown. Oh, yeah. He's one of my personal favorites. Yeah, because he's also pretty much, he came out of prison um, yeah. and started down the, like, joined an R&B group, kind of took it over, and then took it in a whole different direction. Yeah, he's got probably the most impressive story out of any entertainer I could, or any entrepreneur I could think of. He's uh, an ex-convict with a seventh grade education, was black in the 50s in the South, and he managed to run his own business against the, against the grain of every person in that business and become a millionaire of his own accord. And nobody ever held him down, nobody ever stopped him, and he was just... He was the ideal businessman, and he knew nothing about business. He just figured it out. And that's just such an amazing story. You know, um, speaking of you know shopping around labels and stuff like that, and not, now also 
you're talking about the era that we're going into. Uh, the big record deals that happened in the 90s don't generally happen anymore. If they do happen, they happen to people who already kind of have some like huge following. Mm. Um, so it's not the yeah, same. You got to like, cut your teeth on YouTube first. Yeah. Now. It's not like in the 90s where somebody would see you in a band, the AR person, and sign you to a record deal. Yeah. You find out, though, of course, later that even though these people did have these big record deals, a lot of them had to make a certain amount of money. Otherwise, they weren't really making like, you know, what I mean, they were living a a leased lifestyle for a while. But then, well, not only that, but you got that Barry Gertie, you know, chess record sort of shit. People like to think that that ended in the 50s, but that that was still going on in the early 2000s where it's like, okay, well, the record label is going to buy you a house and we'll give you a bunch of nice clothes and we'll buy you a car. And then the the musician, they didn't ask for any of these things. They were just given to them without asking. And then they come around, well, where's my paycheck? You don't get a paycheck. We bought you a house. Yeah. <laughs> and they still do that to people. Yeah. And that's, and then when the record, la- when the record deal goes away, they take the house too. And that's the, <laughs> so. like the new thing people warn about is, uh, the 360 deal now, which is sounds good. Cause it'll get, it'll, it will, it can help you go from like, playing small bars and stuff like that to like being on these big tours and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But then it's 360 because then like every success that you have following that, like other people own it as well. Yeah. Versus like just, you know, bringing it back to James Brown. He, you know, I'm sure he like later on, he signed some big deals and stuff like that and went through that too. A lot of people did, but early on, uh, his album, please, 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 like they, the record label didn't, wasn't they feeling didn't get it. it. They had absolutely no idea what his appeal was. And so then he he <laughs> paid and recorded it himself, yeah. and pushed it himself, and then that got successful based on his effort. And then he owned that original success. And Which that- people still do. I mean, Ludacris did that. That's how Ludacris got famous. He went to every rap label in Atlanta and nobody was interested in his music. So he built a studio. He recorded his own thing. He built a label. He got it registered as an LLC and actually came up on his own. And it got to the point that when labels were interested in him, he was able to call the shots like, well, I got my own thing set up. So if you want me to leave that, you have to make whatever you're offering me better than what I already have. So you could still do that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think you, you know, you should. Oh, yeah. Um, why not? You know? So what's, uh, so what's your plan right now? You know, I don't want to be famous. I think that kind of sets me apart from a lot of entertainers. I would like to make a living off of music. I would like to, you know, 50 grand a year. Just playing shows, releasing albums. You can, if you can't survive off of 50 grand a year, you're just irresponsible. <laughs> so if I can make 50 grand a year, just <clears throat> playing uh, small bars, you know, little clubs and putting stuff out on iTunes and Pandora, 
I'll be happy as a clam. I don't need the world to know my name. I don't need to be on The Tonight Show. I don't need to be selling out arenas. And I think a lot of that stuff is what ruins musicians. I think, you know, you see them when they come up, their first three albums are amazing because they wrote all those when they were in this place where they were in the world and they were living amongst regular people and understanding the struggles of everyday life. And then once they get in this, you know, touring the country and playing arenas and making millions of dollars, and they're just so detached from reality and they live so differently that their music doesn't carry across anymore. You can't relate to it anymore and they try to be relatable and it becomes very evident in the instances where they're trying to be relatable that like you don't get it anymore. You're gone. You're a different person now. I don't want that to happen to me. I would like my music to always be something like a Johnny Cash song that anybody could sit down and like, yeah, I get this. I, I feel what he's talking about. And I think if you stay under 70 grand, it's a good way to make sure that you're going to stay relatable. So how do you think somebody like a Johnny Cash or a James Brown or some of those artists who did end up having like some big success, a Bob Marley, um, how do you think that they managed to, to maintain who they were in their, their core? <clears throat> well, with the, I think with James Brown and Johnny Cash, it's two different things. Because James Brown regressed and Johnny Cash grew. Like if you look at their, like James Brown, the longer he lived, the worse of a person he became. And Johnny Cash, the longer he lived, the more he got to see like, okay, maybe I, like there's a lot of people don't like to talk about this and they don't like to remember this, but there was a period in the seventies where Johnny Cash was very racist. He did white power songs. Oh, I didn't even know that. He did. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a long time. It was only about two years, but there was a period where that happened and then he came away from it and he became one of the largest public figures speaking out against the American neo-Nazi movement in the 70s after he did these songs, where he's, he's just an example of who you are now doesn't need to define who you are going to be. Whereas you have James Brown on the other end where he could have been anything, he could have done anything, and he decided to smoke PCP every day. Towards the <laughs> end, like, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it sounds like there was a period we were talking about eras of music and style we were talking about the 50s to the 70s and it sounds like probably both of them had a convergence in like the 70s because when martin luther king was assassinated and chicago i think it was uh, was rioting james brown was in town um doing supposed to do a concert and a lot of things got shut down because there was like riots all oh, over it was the boston it's boston it's boston yeah. yeah that's right um, and yeah, like he got on the phone with the mayor and decided to do the concert and they televised the concert and kind of, that was like one of the cities that didn't riot and it was, you well, know. they didn't riot because of him. They yeah, were starting exactly. to riot. And then he gave like a very heartfelt speech to the crowd yeah. about just like, do you want them to be right? Because their idea is that since you're black, you're not smart and you can't be trusted. And if you act this way, you're going to tell them that they're right. If you show them that we're just like them, then we have a chance to prove them wrong. And that yeah. was, that was, ba I don't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing of course, but that was basically the gist of his yeah. speech. And yeah, I mean, there was a period right there where he could have, I mean, I think right after that point, about four years later, he released Say It Loud, 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, he could have been this really prominent civil rights figure if he was able to stay off the drugs, but... I think that's a thing with a lot of entertainers. It's just the, the well, fuel that keeps you going is also the weight that drags you down. That's also a whole <clears throat> other conversation. We don't have to go down, but the whole thing, a big thing about the crack cocaine was specifically, um, this is like un, like redacted now, or like released um, classified FBI files um, that crack cocaine specifically was like pumped into the ghettos to yeah. neutralize like the civil rights movement. Yeah, like CIA operatives yep. would pose as drug dealers. They actually hired black CIA agents, which they had never done before, just to pose as drug dealers in the inner city and sell crack to people. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, it spread like, like it does. Like, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that that's going on now with heroin. Because if you look at the crack epidemic in the 70s and you look at the heroin epidemic now, it's identical. It's just completely down the line. There's as many people affected by it. It's as big of a problem. And I think it's even more sinister now because I think in the 70s, like, I mean, it's always been about money. But I think in the 70s, it was there was a racist agenda. Now, unfortunately, I do think there are certain forces now that are still, there's some like racist forces kind of like rearing his ugly head. But I think what's happening right now is gross because the population of the world is getting so big that um, we're like at a, (laughs) we're at a crossroads right now as far as like humanity on like, what are we going to do? Is it going to be all about money? Like to the, to the point where we kill ourselves, like just with greed. But I don't um, think people care. I, I think like when, when you hear people talking about going to Mars, I think that's something that makes that very evident where the clear answer is they want to leave. Yeah. The yeah. clear answer is stop fucking up this planet. Okay. Yeah. You don't need a car. It's nice to have a car. It's convenient and it's awesome that they exist, but they're impractical and maybe they shouldn't exist. So if we could all agree, okay, we'll walk everywhere, and we'll install public transit, and we'll all ride trains and walk, and cars won't exist anymore, we won't have to go to Mars. But people are so selfish that, fuck it, let's just go to Mars. Let's let every animal and every plant on this planet die so I can get to work 10 minutes faster every day. And, (laughs) you know, when I was a kid, that sounded, that was, like, reasonable. The thing that's unreasonable, though, about it like, I, I agree with that, but what's unreasonable about that, like, that selfish idea, like, within that logic, is I don't think it's realistic that they're going to build the, the, that we're going to, like, I feel like the, the time is running out, and I don't think that we're anywhere close to being able to, like, move to Mars. Oh, no, I think this is our modern-day fallout shelter. Yeah. Like, you know, in the modern day, when you go around and look at a fallout shelter, it's, it's hard not to laugh. And, like, people actually believed that if there was a nuclear bomb, as long as they got in the school basement, they'd be fine. Yeah. That's our modern day fallout shelter, Mars. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah. Uh, so, do you have hope? Mm. Not at all. I think that's what inspires a lot of my music and a lot of my creativity is I'm very frustrated with humanity and with people 
because I love people. So it's like this duality, like I love you and I want to see you succeed and I want everyone to do what's best for them, but I hate you because you refuse to do what's best for you. <laughs> so that I think that's what drives a lot of my creativity because those are some weird emotions to deal with. <laughs> so do you think that you can change anything with your music? <clears throat> I think that I have... Um, a unique perspective that could open some people's eyes to some ideas that they wouldn't that they wouldn't like otherwise. Because I come from Middle America, I'm I'm not necessarily a Democrat. I'm very middle of the road on everything. Like you know, I support free healthcare, but I also support gun rights. And I'm kind of with you on that. And like a lot of people, I think would be shocked to hear that. Um, but sorry for interrupting. Oh no, no. But no. like. Um, I also, like, I support, like, speaking of, like, the planet and stuff, I support vegetarian lifestyle. I like the idea of being a vegan. I've tried it several times, and it's hard. I also believe that humans are omnivores. I'm sure there's a way to do, to be a vegan, but for me and my body, I haven't found it and been able to sustain it. Yeah, I tried it, too. I got fat. Yeah. And that was the thing. Well, there's, be, and like yeah. when you look at like a lot of, I read a lot of nutrition stuff and like I'm on this little health kick right now and pretty much it's like low carbs, high protein, um, eat your, ve eat your vegetables though. Definitely yeah. eat your vegetables. It's not that, um, like, so it's like not that everything needs to be meat or fish, but like the, the thing is protein you can get it other places, but your body synthesizes it easiest. Yeah. From, from animals. Unless you're willing to eat black beans every day. And even still, that's like, the that's... thing. Like the like, you can't eat soy, and that's not going to do it for you. You can't eat fucking peanuts and shit. That's not going to. You have to eat just black beans. That's the only thing vegetarian that's going to give you the protein of meat. But you're not getting complex carbohydrates from that. You're getting the wrong kind of carbohydrates exactly. from that. So it's a trade off. Yeah. <laughs> and so with that, like, um, I think um, we'll see if I can do it this summer, but like, you know, I listen also to a lot of different ideas and stuff like that, but it seems like hunting is a better way of getting animal meat. Like it's, it is, but it's fucking hard. Have yeah. you ever gone hunting? Nope. But I'm, but I'm, I think it's okay that it's hard. So it's like even like with your, can your music change the world? Like that question, is there hope? You know what I mean? Like I, I tend to, I have to have hope. <laughs> Otherwise I don't know how like I go on. Um, but it's like, yeah, like knowing that you're fighting a, a losing battle, but I think the battle's worth fighting. Like I kind of think that that's, if there's a point to life, I think it's, it's actually, it's, it's not just suffering because like there's that Buddhist philosophy, like life is suffering or whatever. And like, once you can accept that, you can be at peace, something like that. That's a paraphrase. But, um, well, I do agree with that. I mean, I've, I've come a long way since I've come to terms with the fact that 90% of your life is going to be pain and 10% is going to be happiness. But since 90% is pain, that 10% happiness feels 90% better than if it would have happened all the time. Like, if you were just always happy, you'd eventually just be like, okay, this is life. It's not special. 
It's yeah. just the way it is. But if happiness only comes around once in a while, that makes happiness very, very special. Well, and I also think like if you face adversity, so if you challenge yourself and you get through those hard things, and this isn't an original idea. I've heard other people talk about this. Uh, shout out to Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, but like when you struggle through things, like the sense of accomplishment that comes after that, like it makes everyday suffering yeah. easier, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had, a, I had a pretty hard when I grew up because I was, we were really poor. Like there were, there were six of us, and my dad made thirty grand a year. We lived in a 1,200 square foot house in a shitty ghetto neighborhood with a really high murder with a really high murder rate and bad public schools and all that shit. And my mom was addicted to pills and an alcoholic. She ended up dying when I was 15, and I got emancipated that same year and started being an adult when I was still a teenager. Never got to finish high school. You know, a lot of that stuff, when I was in it, it was a reason to resent the world. But now whenever I think about that stuff... I don't know. It's like, I could do anything. Yeah. I already did that. And if I did that, most people will never have to do any of that. Like, 89% of society will never have to experience any of those things that I just mentioned. So if I could do those things, I can do whatever 89% of society does. Because I've already done more than them. So, it, whatever you're hating right now is going to be the reason why you love yourself later. Wise words. <laughs> Wise words. Thank you. Uh, where Where's the best place for people to to find your music and follow you? Right now, I'm, uh, I'm still in the early stages of putting my music together. The album isn't going to be out until June. But if you'd like to hear a couple of samples of what I've got working, you could look up Slumtown Deadbeats either on SoundCloud or on YouTube. And you'll hear sample tracks. I don't believe in like making money off my music. I put all my stuff out for free. I'm losing money off of this. I spent thousands of dollars building a studio just because I want people to hear my music. So I don't care if you hear an unfinished version of a track that's going to be released later. I don't even care if it pisses the label off. It's music. It's art. And it's there for you to enjoy it. So YouTube, SoundCloud, that's my shit. Later on when the album comes out, it's going to be on Pandora. And it's going to be on iTunes. I'm sure that the record label is going to want me to charge something so that they make money. But I'm going to make it as cheap as I possibly can for the consumer. Nice. Do you Are you on Instagram or any of that stuff? Do you do social media? I have a Facebook, but I really just use it for uh social experimentation like i'll i like to do this fun thing where i i figure out what the hot button issue is today what's everyone mad about on both sides and i'll find out the one viewpoint that neither of them agree with it and instead of talking about what you both think Let's talk about this viewpoint that neither of you agree with. And then when you argue with that, maybe, just maybe, that will illuminate how frivolous and stupid your arguments against each other are. Because if you could reach a point where you say, okay, at least neither of us believe this, and this guy's being a fucking dickhead, then maybe you could say, oh, 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 I'm doing that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, calm down. 
It's a weird thing. Like, uh, of course, we're getting into like the 2020 election. Um, and I have a lot of opinions about that. But number one biggest opinion is that I think I would like to see everybody more engaged with trying to affect change like in their community in the world in the, in the country okay. Okay. um i'd like to see people get active um so yeah voting but voting's not the not the only way like it's everybody has the right to vote and i believe people should vote for whoever they believe in and campaign for whoever they believe in or or not like it's your choice to vote or not to vote um that said like i've been registered as a democrat since since i started voting but more and more i think of myself as an independent and it's really for me it's because in my opinion both the democrats and the republicans have like sold out to corporate interests and and that i try to talk to people about that all the time where it's like if if you compare um if you compare barack obama to john f kennedy in that spectrum barack obama's a republican but likewise if you compare george w bush to richard nixon in that spectrum george w bush is a democrat yeah. So the the lines have become so muddled and blurred. Or if that you I don't... compare Reagan to like, if you compare Ronald Reagan to the current like leaders of the Republican Party, he's left. Like yeah. And th- but that's also how far kind of the needle. I feel but yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't. Right. I don't think these these titles matter. I don't think Democrat Republican. Like I don't think people realize when Richard Nixon was president, he wanted free health care. He wanted to instate free health care for every American citizen. He wanted universal basic income for artists. Richard Nixon. I so, yeah, that. he wanted like stuff like that. And that's a Republican today would have a fucking brain aneurysm if the, a Republican president <laughs> suggested those ideas. And I think that's a testament to how far we've come is it, it used to be about what do you think is best for the country based on how you've lived your life so far. And now it's what's best to support the party. Right. And that is so infuriating to me. And so, so like for me, you know, anybody who's listened to this podcast is no secret. I've been a Bernie guy. I'm still a Bernie guy. Um, I'm open to having my mind changed, but I like that. I like what the guy's, been running on um i like that he's kind of been running on the same thing i don't for trust 30 him. years if yeah. i th- if i thought he was telling the truth i would like him but i don't i'm 75 percent certain that he's just blowing smoke up people's asses. and then it would yeah and i mean that's the politician thing because he is rich and when people have like he did a, a town hall on fox news and they pressed him they said well you want to tax the rich you've made three million dollars this year are you willing to pay that tax? Well, the taxes for people, we want to know if you 
as an individual who proposed this tax would be willing to pay the tax that you proposed? Well, would you be willing to pay it? We're not asking that question. We want, and he never answered hmm. because the answer is no, he wouldn't. And that's why I don't trust him. I also don't trust him because he supported Hillary. And he said in his own words, if I ever endorse Hillary Clinton, you can consider everything that I ever said a lie. And then three months after he said that, he endorsed Hillary Clinton. So if I'm taking him on his own merit, then I have to consider him a liar. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a politician. Exactly. And And people want to make him Jesus. Yeah, I don't think he's Jesus either. Um, But I think... As far as politicians, I feel like he has more integrity than most. That's true, but he's still a politician. Yeah. And Senate's so dirty. Like, I don't think people realize, like, there's this thing. Are you aware of, like, do you know what insider trading is? Yeah. So, Senate... I mean, (laughs) yeah, and this isn't, Yeah, obviously, but why are all these, why are so many senators? Because for him, at least, as far as, like, the, the money that came... That's, that's transparent, at least. That came from his book deal. No, no, no. That's not how it all comes. This is, Bernie included, this is how senators make their money. So let's say there's a well, bill. Well, but he wasn't three. He didn't make $3 million until after. No, 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 no. But he made more than a, like a senator on their salary. I think it's $275,000 a year, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Something like that. But I think it's $275,000 a year. But he already had at least $1 million in the bank. And the way that he made that money is that when senators know a law is about to be passed that's going to affect the market, nobody else knows about it but them. It hasn't been voted on yet. It hasn't been proposed yet. So they have this very privileged, special knowledge that only a senator could know about. And then they'll go bet in the stock market based on this knowledge that is unfair. It gives them an advantage that... And if any other person did this, it would be called insider trading. So back in the 80s, somebody realized this and they said, hey, let's... Isn't that what Martha Stewart went to jail for? Yeah. Yeah. So they were like, let's create this thing to figure out if senators are breaking the law. And they created the Senate Ethics Committee. But they let Senate appoint the arbitrators of the Senate Ethics Committee. And they determined, yes, senators are committing what you would consider insider trading, but we're going to write a law today that says senators are allowed to do insider trading and only senators are allowed to do it. And Bernie has benefited from that, just like every other senator. That's how he made his first million, by insider trading. He would figure out like, okay, we're going to change healthcare. So he goes and bets on healthcare stocks. Not even betting. He's just betting on a sure thing. But I'm pretty sure he wasn't a millionaire until after 2016. I could be wrong, but he, I, from what I've been led to believe, he had at least $1 million in the bank before that point. He had, he's doubled his money, more than doubled his money since then, but he started off with a, a good amount of money. Because, yeah, well, we can go back to that. But um, I could be wrong yeah. because, you know, the Internet is full of all sorts of information and only about half of it's true. Yeah, well... <laughs> if that, if that, um, you know, cause there's these Russian hackers and yeah. Yeah. Isn't that some <laughs> crazy shit that like, I, I, I don't, I'm not even mad at Russia. I think it's hilarious that well, they were it, able to troll the entire country. <laughs> well, the thing about it is, and people got mad, but it's true. Like Putin said, you know, 
they're doing the same things we've done. Like America does the same thing everywhere else. So it's like, that's, I think the thing that's like probably my biggest pet peeve with politics and our leaders is hypocrisy. I say that whenever somebody is like, well, aren't you scared of North Korea or aren't you scared of Russia? Not half as scared as I am of America. Like, let me make this abundantly clear. I don't think that Hitler is as bad as the U.S. government. If we're going by loss of life, if we're going by innocent civilians murdered, U.S. wins that. A hundred times out of a hundred, no argument, we are the single most detrimental force that has ever existed on the face of the earth. We have killed more people, we have committed more atrocities and war crimes, and we've gotten away with all of it. Nobody else can say that. So if you're willing to say fuck North Korea, you should be willing to say fuck America even more. Yeah. (laughs) It's the way I look at things. And so what do you think the way forward is? I think if America wants to be world police, we shouldn't be allowed to fight our own wars anymore. I think if we want to fight everybody else's wars and make money off of it and whatever the fuck else we do off of it, then we can't have our own conflict on our own accord. Because that's just, that's a monopoly, all right? America has right now a monopoly on violence. Where if anybody else gets violent, we could go and stop them. But if we go and get violent, there's nobody on the earth that could stop us. So it's, it's really not fair. It's like we're the biggest kid in the school because we got our growth spurt early. And everybody else on the sixth grade playground is just hoping we don't beat the shit out of them. And that's not fair. And we got our growth spurt on genocide and then slavery. Like that's what brought the original money not just that but just the the way that we built our industry like the way that we every immigrant population that came like okay yeah we're the best country and you could live in the best country but you're not going to live in the best country your grandkids are you're going to live basically the same way you did back in china or ireland or italy or wherever the fuck you came from probably worse and then your grandkids are going to have the life that you dream of. <laughs> that's, the, that's the actual American dream. Not you're going to make it. Your grandkids are going to make it. That's the actual. And it's not, and it's not like that dream is like shifted now. Yeah, like now your not. grandkids won't even make it. Now it's, well, your grandkids are going to have it worse than you did. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's getting worse too. I mean... When I look at things like they just raised the fare by a dollar for the metro in New York City. I don't know if you guys, if everybody who listens to this is from New York, but if you're not, it used to cost $32 a week to ride the subway. Now, the MTA, who runs the subway, is a private organization that is tax-funded. Now, in any other case, that would be illegal. Well, that is illegal. But for some reason, New York City is allowed to do this illegal thing and give tax money to a private organization that also charges for their service. And the way I look at it, it should be one way or another. Either you take my tax money to pay for the MTA, or I pay you a fare to pay for the MTA. But you can't make me pay twice. You took the money out of my paycheck to pay for it, and now I have to pay you directly on top of that, and you're going to keep raising the fare? 
Yeah. <laughs> and they keep saying, well, we don't have any money. We can't afford the things we need to do. Well, if you look at the statistics, this is the highest ridership that the MTA has experienced in its entire history. Since the 1800s, when subways were fucking invented, there have never been as many people riding the subway in New York City as there are today. But they still keep rising the fares saying, well, we don't have the money. Well, if there's more people riding and they're all paying, then you must have more money. So why do you need more than what you have? This is just simple math. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> the private ownership, publicly funded things, because that's like the a lot of the prisons are privately operated but publicly funded and don't get confused i'm not saying that i'm against taxes if you want taxes to run the mta great let's do that but then don't charge fair yeah (laughs) that's charge fair for outsiders if you can prove that you're a new york resident you get the subway for free if you don't pay taxes here then you have to pay that's how we should run it what do you think about health care i think it should be completely free and I think that anything else other than completely free only makes it more expensive for the super poor. And that's the yeah. group that everybody forgets. Like there's, oh, you, well, we made healthcare a little bit cheaper so the middle class could afford it, but now the poor are getting fined for something that they couldn't afford before and still can't afford now. So it, you didn't really solve any, you only solved something for people who were already doing all right. You made things worse for people who didn't have anything. Yeah. How yeah. about you? <laughs> no, nah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah. <laughs> what else can we solve here? Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I mean, I'm just figuring out the world, man. I'm here with the rest of you guys. <laughs> uh what do, what are you working on right now? Uh I'm going to be doing a play um going into rehearsal actually next Monday. Um it's a play at the National Black Theater. You're um, an actor in it? Yeah. Oh. Um it's a site specific play, so I think it's going to be like it's it's in Harlem, the National Black Theater is in Harlem and it's called 125th and Freedom and it deals with uh, the legacy of racism in America and then modern day gentrification. So kind of the same thing, like similar concept to how you broke down the healthcare thing where, yeah, where you have things improving in a place for people who can afford it. Um, I think gentrification is a problem, but I think that... A part of the problem that isn't addressed often is stubbornness. Like, you don't need to live in New York City. It's nice to live in New York City, but it is not essential to your survival that you exist specifically within these perimeters. If it's too expensive to live in New York, just like everyone has done for all of history, you can go somewhere else where it's not that expensive. And New York has consistently, for all of history, rose in price. And it's People have always left because it's gotten too expensive for them. And I think it's weird to make it a, a 
a race specific or a time specific tr- trouble that oh New York's getting more expensive like well that's just the way of the world man New York gets more no, expensive that's, the that's way what the New world. York does I think the problem though with gentrification is is that there is an issue and this is historic but this still happens today um, where certain communities have a hard time getting like loans be it business loans be it loans for houses um being like or if it's renting sometimes landlords can be like racist to certain communities oh yeah absolutely and so then when you're pushed out of like one neighborhood and then your options are limited so that's like oh yeah i'm speaking of racism i have i'm gonna fucking tell this story right here and i don't care who knows it this is a story about metro prop llc and if they want to come against me with legal problems (laughs) i got recordings to prove it I have a Muslim roommate, and my landlords are Jewish, as you know, and I found the kid on Facebook, and I sent him to them to fill out the paperwork, and they're slyly asking me questions like, well, we don't think he's the best candidate. Do you know of anybody else? Well, what makes him not the best candidate? Well, we just don't feel right about him. On what grounds? Well, we think there could be someone better. Better in what way? (laughs) <laughs> and there's the only difference between him and everybody else that I sent them is that he's Muslim and they're Jewish and they don't like Muslims, but they won't come right out and say that. But they're trying to convince me, maybe you shouldn't let this person live with you because we don't want a Muslim in our building in 2019 in New York City. That's one of the saddest things in the world to me, like just like religious conflict and especially between Christian, Muslim, and Jewish people. It's I mean, the period. same fucking religion. It's the same, it's the same God. Fucking... Like, I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not, like, religious really myself, but, like, I grew up, like, in a church, a very progressive church, actually. But, so uh, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> like, I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, my father's a pastor. I was raised on hardcore, you know, right-wing Christianity and by the time I was probably 12 I figured out I I believe that there's a God Mm. and I think everybody's kind of right about what God is I don't think anybody's completely right I think every religion on earth all the popular ones essentially believe in the same thing and they have a different word to describe it yeah I think it's silly to say that's the right one because if you read all the I've read a Quran I've, I've read the Torah and the Talmud I've read the New Testament Christian Bible. You're all getting at the same idea, with the exclusion of Paul, who was a fucking psychopath. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever read the New Testament, but about half of that shit is just completely ridiculous ramblings of a psych. We would call that a manifesto if it was written today. (laughs) But with the exception of that, and, you know, the stuff in the Quran about cutting people's heads off and fucking your cousin, that's kind of weird. But if we weed out the more extreme, yeah, extreme things, all that you're getting down to is something created us. We came from somewhere and we owe it to that somewhere that we came from that we make something of all of this and that we do do right by each other. That's all that matters. You don't need to, you know, Eddie Griffin is the comedian. Yeah. So you got everybody, you got the, the Christians think Jesus was the messenger, and the Jews think Moses was the messenger, and the Muslims think Muhammad was the messenger, and they're all fighting about the messenger. Did you get the message? Right. 
Because <laughs> that's the important part. Did you get the message that they brought you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, man. I think that's a pretty good good spot to put a pen in it. All right. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts, just look up Slumtown Deadbeats on YouTube and SoundCloud this summer. Our f- first album, The Center of Despair, is going to be released on iTunes and Pandora and Spotify and anywhere else that you could find music. Um, if you want me to describe our music, it's really weird. It's jazz, it's blues, it's punk rock, it's Motown, it's soul. It's everything from the 50s to the 70s just mashed into a stew and I really hope and believe that no matter what you like, you could find a song of mine that you like. Nice. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Nate Benjamin. Uh, check out Slumtown Deadbeats. The links for that will be in the show notes for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I have some really exciting guests coming up. Um, Looking forward to sharing those, and if you get a chance, come out and see 125th at the National Black Theater. Um, If you're listening to this on Friday, that means we have a show tomorrow, Saturday. You can check that out at thenationalblacktheater.org. Thank you for listening. Uh, Please subscribe, rate, review, and share, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Peace. Peace.